on John. And we've been going through it fairly extensively. And I think that's that's been good for us. Right? Take sometimes taking things slow is the is the way to go. And uh, just by way of review, in John 12, what have we uh, what have we been looking at? Where have uh, where have we what what is the storyline for us? Anybody? Well, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? In chapter 11, that was super cool. And now we're in John 12, and we had it was it's coming right before Passover, which means that. Uh, the whole world, the Jewish world, and all of Israel is starting to move towards Jerusalem, and the Passover feast is one week away. And in John chapter 12, we find that uh, the beginning of it was Jesus went to the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha in Bethany, which is, what, a mile or so, a couple miles away from Jerusalem. And uh, they have a feast. And what happened at this little dinner setting? Anybody? Yeah, Mary decided to crack open the, <laughs> the expensive perfume all the way from India and pour it on his feet and anoint him, as he says, for burial. And uh, there's a little interaction there with Judas not uh, wanting to spend the money because he was selfish and he wanted the money for himself. But we find this story. Uh, let's start in verse 9, if you would. It says, when the word got out that Jesus was not far from Jerusalem, a large crowd came out to see him. And they also wanted to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. You know, they didn't have everything like we have, of course, media and all that. Uh, But (laughs) if you had a chance to see someone alive who had been dead, and the guy also that had raised him from the dead, would you not... Go out of your way to see that. You know, it's just interesting to see. Some things you just have to see for yourself, you know. I told you, I think a while back, we uh, we went to a Trump rally back before all of this corona stuff. And uh, part of it was we just wanted to actually see in person all what everybody had been talking about, you know. And so it was it was just really fun and to be a part of an, a big event. And I, I kind of get the idea that that's a little bit of the motivation with these people here. They're like, man, I, I would want to see the dead, the guy who had been previously dead, and the guy who raised him from the dead. And if they're both in one place, I would be, I would walk a long ways to see that. I'm just saying. I think it would be super, super fun. But it's interesting because in uh, chapter 12, verse 9, It says, when the word got out that Jesus was not far from Jerusalem, a large crowd came out to see him, and they also wanted to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 10. Uh, Somebody want to read verse 10 for us. Sally, you got it? This prompts chief priests to seal their plans to do do away with both Jesus and Lazarus. Okay, verse 11 as well, honey. His miracle testimony was incontrovertible and was persuading many of the Jews living in Jerusalem to believe in Jesus. And it's interesting. I, I, I noticed this when I was reading it this week. It says, because there were Jews living in Jerusalem who began to believe in Jesus. So Jews, their power base, if you will, for the Pharisees and the leaders, some of their people are now starting to go to Jesus. And of course, they're the gap is getting wider and wider. 
nowadays we have a lot of Jews for Jesus and Jewish people that messianic Jews, you know, that believe in Jesus. But this was the very beginning of it right here. Mm -hmm. This was the this was the, the beginning. So they and it's interesting, it says they it prompted them to seal their plans to do away with Jesus and Lazarus. And uh, I always thought that was interesting, too. I could see getting rid of Jesus, but why would they want to get rid of Lazarus as well? Why do they want to kill him? Another miracle. Evidence. Yeah. You know. <laughs> this is really snowballing. Yeah. Gotta, yeah. Kill gotta kill this guy. Gotta kill him. Blind guy. How many Put more? On the list <laughs> They've got a hit list getting pretty long. But here's the thing. This is also a word to the wise. When you have to start eliminating evidence... In order to stay in power, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's something corporate, I mean, uh, at a core place wrong with, with who you are and what you're doing. So they got to get rid of him. They got to get rid of Lazarus because his evidence, his testimony was incontrovertible. I just feel like, you know, again, it would be so fun to have been there in some ways. Like, what was Lazarus's life like now? He was, he was the man wherever he went. That's right. That's right. He's a superstar. He's a rock star, right? But of course, he's probably going, yeah, it's cool. I, I was dead. Now I'm alive. But dude, it's him. It's all him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, can, I don't get the feeling Lazarus was taking any credit. But, uh, you know, people were really being drawn. And it's interesting. Yeah, and again, you know, getting rid of, getting rid of Lazarus. He makes a good argument for Jesus, doesn't he? Like, like, like uh, if you're if you're if you're stacking up evidence and stuff, he's 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 a good argument for. So they want to kill him. His testimony is great. You know, I was thinking too. Like, there was as we're going to find here in the next little bit as we move into the the Passion Week, uh, as they say, the last week of Jesus' life. I'm sure there were people that were on the fence about Jesus. Isn't it? You know. Even in politics, you've got people that are far left and you've got people that are far right. And then you've got kind of varying degrees in. And then you've got people in the middle that are like, yeah, I'm not really sure what, uh, you know, what, what I should do. And it's true in politics. It's true in a lot of life. But it's really true when it comes to Jesus. Have you ever found people that are vehemently opposed to Jesus and his message? And then you have other people that are just passionately for Jesus and his message. But then you have those people in the middle that are like, well, I don't really know what to do with Jesus. I don't know what that's all about. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But if you have a dead guy walking around that got raised from the dead by Jesus, like that's going to swing people towards Jesus. You talk to Lazarus, it's going to move you towards Jesus. Why? Because people say, you may have heard this before, uh, there's no argument for a testimony. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. I don't agree with what, well, that's fine. But I was dead, and he talked, and he called me out, and now I'm alive. So I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, the argument and this testimony is really going to swing people towards Jesus. And, and again, the Pharisees can't, uh, can't abide that. If someone looks at Lazarus, and they go, I'm not really sure about Jesus. Oh, yeah? Okay, now I'm sure. Now I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm in on the Jesus well, thing. Well, we kind of saw the same thing when Jesus healed, for example, the the blind man, you know, right away the Pharisees were like, well, this really isn't the guy, and, yeah. you know, what's, Looking what's for every really excuse, going yeah. on? So even Jesus healing a blind person healing the blind guy, yeah. wasn't enough in and of itself, sure. even for the Pharisees, you right. know. 
Yeah, and, that's true. You know, so Jesus was always willing to take another step up the ladder, so to speak, to say, okay, we can we can up the ante yeah. here. And that's interesting because we, before some of the, you guys came on Facebook Live, we were talking in Isaiah 43, uh, verses, what was it, 16 through 20, I think. Mm-hmm. And it talks about, God says to the prophet Isaiah, don't look at the past. In fact, forget the former things. I'm going to do a new thing, a totally new thing. And in our lives, we're prone to look backwards. And I think the Pharisees probably did. Because you remember when Jesus was arguing with them back a couple chapters ago? It was always about Moses this and our forefathers this, you know. Because they were really good at looking to the past as a way of giving them power for the present and future. Mm-hmm. And now God comes along in his son and says, listen, I, I'm doing a new thing. And I'm not throwing away the past. We're just not going to look to the past as our source of strength. We're going to look to the present and the future, right? And so let's move on. So verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 12 it says, for the next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the massive crowd gathered for the feast. And uh, again, we know this as Palm Sunday, which we passed a few weeks ago. Well, I think we were in Corona lockdown, weren't we at that time still? Yeah. That was a, we were in that, so not a lot of uh, branches and all that. But it, interesting, just so that we, again, understand the context of this, we're talking about there was three major festivals in Jerusalem that it was required that all males, and by that then most of their families and most of Israel, were required to come to the temple in Jerusalem. So this wasn't an optional family vacation. This was you were under, 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 under Mosaic law to come to Jerusalem. And of the three, Passover is the biggest one. And it has to do with the angel of death passing over in Egypt when God was delivering them. So this is the big one. So we're talking about tens of thousands of extra people in this city. And it's like a swelling city. Jerusalem is just bursting at the seams, right? So interesting, isn't it? You read this verse and you go, the next day... The news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the massive crowd gathered for the feast. Again, not that we're doing any kind of politics or anything, but if we were to get word today that President Trump was going to show up in Gurney on Father's Day, you know, over at the airport or something or whatever, do you have any question or doubt that there would be just tens of thousands of people that would go just to see it, Air Force One and whatever else, you know? And so I don't really know. Of course, Jesus isn't a political figure, and so it's hard to make that analogy. But here's a guy who raised Lazarus from the dead. The word is out. Now, can you imagine the buzz in Jerusalem? Like that guy who's been doing all these miracles, even raised the guy from the dead, which, by the way, is the third one he raised from the dead. Remember, we looked at some of that. So the city, according to uh, uh, verse 12 here, it, this, this news, this buzzing about sweeps through the whole crowd. So much so that in verse 13 says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Okay. So do they have a king of Israel right now? No. There's no 
There's no king. Who's the king over Israel, technically? The emperor of right. Rome. So you, Herod, you know, may be in the mix as a puppet king, but really we're talking about Caesar. Caesar of Rome. Rome is, is all this. So you have all these Jews who don't like being ruled by Rome. All of a sudden, they see this miracle-working guy raising people from the dead. Could you imagine if he was your military leader? And every soldier you sent into combat, he could raise from the dead and bring back to life? You would be excited about that proposition, wouldn't you? I mean, I never really thought of it that way, but think about it. In their mind, he's the dead raiser. So even if we go up against Rome and we get a bunch of guys killed, he can just bring them all back to, to life. And we can throw off Rome and we could, you know, this could be awesome. They'd already had several revolutions <laughs> yeah. brought on by the Zealots. Yeah, there's been plenty of rebellions here. Mm-hmm. So much, though, that in uh, about, what, 40 years? Less than 40 years, the Romans, just, they're just, the Romans are going to come in under Titus and wipe out Jerusalem and scatter everybody. So we've got this buzz. They're thinking a Messiah, a Savior, but really a king. They're really wanting a, a, a physical king. And so what does Jesus do? He gets in a big chariot with a whole bunch of tro- horses and soldiers, and he comes marching in like the victorious conqueror, right? No. No? What does he do? Rise a donkey. Yeah. You know, we talk about this whole don't look to the past, don't think, <laughs> because I'm doing a new thing. So here Jesus says, all right, everybody else comes in a conquering king on a great white stallion or in a, in a, on a chariot or some kind. He comes in on a, the Bible refers to it as a lowly, a lowly beast. Uh, somebody read verse 14 for us, would they? Then Jesus found a young donkey and rode it on... Uh, and rode on it to fulfill what was prophesied. People of Zion, have no fear. Look, it's your king coming to you, riding on a young donkey. Okay, so he's fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy that instead of a big horse or a chariot, he would come in on a peace, as a king of peace, as the Messiah, but we know in retrospect, not as the kind of king they were looking for, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is interesting... Uh, just going back in terms of history and looking at the setting of all this, they have anywhere from 480 to 430 years they've been waiting for a Messiah. They've been a conquered people for close to 500 years, which is about the same number of time that they were in bondage in Egypt, right? I think 430 was when they were in Egypt. Mm -hmm. So the people of Israel, the Israelites, have had a long history of being conquered, being in slavery, uh, not having you know, victory and and freedom and all that. And I I wonder, again, you only act out of your belief system. Would would you agree? Mm -hmm. Like whatever we do and say really comes from a a core values that we have, a system inside of us that tells us that. So here's these people that are thinking, sweet, 400 whatever years, we finally got a Messiah. And I thought about this. On Sundays, when we do Palm Sunday at churches, a lot of times over the years, what do we do? One of the ushers has a big bag of palm branches, and he stands at the door, and he hands out a branch to everybody, right? Well, do you you get the feeling this whole parade is planned or unplanned? There's no, like, okay, 
on the 17th of June, you know, Jesus is going to show up. Let's make sure we got the bags of palm branches and we got this. No, it's a spontaneous celebration based on people coming into Passover and all of a sudden getting the buzz. Hey, Jesus is here. Did you hear what he did last week? He raised that guy from the dead. No way. How do you know? Well, I know that guy. He only lives a mile from here. <laughs> and, you know, this whole thing, and it's just buzzing. So they are literally climbing trees. And who knows how many palm trees are in Jerusalem? I don't know. Maybe they had to go away. But they're literally climbing trees and tearing down branches all over Jerusalem. Right? Can you imagine the picture? I mean, it just seems kind of... I never thought of it this way, actually. But... There's not just palm branches all laying around. I've been in the Middle East, and there are wide areas without palm trees, right? So there's some. Obviously, they had to find some. But they literally were climbing trees and tearing stuff down. You know, who knows, in the neighbor's yard, hey, get out of my palm tree. What are you doing? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but they, what does it tell you, though? That kind of spontaneity and that kind of passion, what does that tell you? They really thought, listen, they really thought this was a once-in-a-lifetime event that had been 400 to 500 years in the making. The passion. Like sometimes, you know, Palm Sunday in America, we don't really get it. Oh, Hosanna, you know, Hosanna, whatever. But I'm telling you, this was a, a political rally with a very popular person times a thousand. I mean, it was just crazy how many people were here and what... And then it, I think this is interesting. Does this not sum up a lot of our lives? Some, uh, let's see. Vernon, do you mind reading verse uh, 16 for us? Now Jesus' disciples didn't fully understand the importance of what was taking place. But after he was raised and exalted in the glory, he understood how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies in the scriptures that were written about him. I love that first line. Now, Jesus' disciples didn't fully understand <laughs> the importance of what was taking place. You know, I thought about that verse this week quite a bit. Because I'm thinking, as many of you probably are, we were just talking about all of the chaos and all of the shaking in our nation and just even social norms and just everything. Like, I don't think we're really going to understand a lot of this until we see it in the, in the rearview mirror. Right? And yet, what did we just say? Amos 3, 7, I think it was, right? Mm -hmm. That God doesn't do anything without first telling his prophets. And so I think there was probably enough evidence for the disciples to understand more fully what they were going through. But is it possible that they got swept up in the moment as well? Because think about it, if you're a disciple and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people are declaring your rabbi to be the new king and the Messiah, tell me you're not going to get a big head. Hey, dude, I'm in the inner circle. I'm one of the 12. I'm, he picked me, you know, like, like I'm sure there was a lot of emotion and stuff going on. What? I'm special. I'm special, right. Well, they already had argued over who was going to yep. be sitting yep. where, you yeah. know, so. In, your, in, in places of power and glory mm -hmm. on the right and the left and all that, right? But it's interesting. I just feel like that verse is so timely. Now, they didn't fully understand the importance of what was taking place. Again, back to Isaiah 43, I think it was uh, 
17, I think. He says, do you not perceive it? Right? Do you not perceive it? What should be our prayer right now this morning? Help us perceive. Yeah. I mean, Jesus did say it. He who has ears, let him hear and eyes to see. I feel like there's two ways we could go through this week and the weeks after. We could just kind of blunder and blindly go along like everybody else and waiting for the next thing to happen. Or we can say, Lord, Isaiah 43 asks the question, do you not perceive right now that he's making a new way, that he's doing a new thing, that there's going to be streams in the desert, that there's going to be a way, a highway in the wilderness? And even in, okay, so this is a positive scene that we're in in John 12, right? It's Hosanna, it's tearing down branches, it's, it's all exciting, right? The, it's positive and exciting, and they got swept up in the emotion of it. And they couldn't really understand the importance of it until later. After, it says, he was raised and exalted into glory. After that, they understood how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies in the scriptures that were written about him. I have no doubt in my mind there's, there, there's going to be things that we're not going to get until later, right? I have no doubt. But I also have no doubt that God wants to show us some things in the middle of this hall, all this craziness. I was listening to a guy, I think Pat Adams um, sent me a video, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he was talking about how he had been praying, this was right in March something when the coronavirus first came out, and there were several prophets that actually said the same thing, that this corona thing is not man-made. And he wasn't talking about whether it was made in the labs in China or whether it was on the Wuhan district, whatever, wet market and all that. No, he was talking about it on another level, of it being on a spiritual level, a demonic level. And he said something, and I've heard this before, he said that this is a demonic attack on people. And it's one of the reasons why the scientific community can't quite get a, get a handle on it. Yeah. Have you noticed this? Is it on the surface? Is it not? Is it breathing? Is it masked? Is it not? Is it this? They can't really get a feel. Why? Because if something is demonic, it's like uh, if you have a demonic spirit of affliction on your body, if you have that, the pain and the problem in your body will move around. I've seen this many times. So you'll, you'll say, hey, uh, how, how are you feeling? And they'll say, oh, my back is really killing me today. Really, I thought it was your knee last week. Yeah, it was my knee. My knee seems to be better, but my back hurts. And then, oh, it's my kidneys. Or, well, then I have a headache. Or, then it's my eyeball. Or, like, it moves around. And what you need to do is to get deliverance from a spirit of affliction, because that's the thing. And I feel like it's possible this virus is demonic, and it kind of shifts and moves. And it's like the goalposts always keep getting changed and everything, right? And I, I look at that, and I think, okay. Lord, you may not give us the whole picture, but you can certainly give us part of the picture, and you certainly want to, or you wouldn't ask questions like, do you not perceive it? Or even here, look, they fully understood later, and we understand there's going to be full revelation later, but Lord, you promised us revelation right now, didn't he? He promised us that we would 
have understanding and wisdom and revelation right now. Those are promises from the Word, right? It's kind of like putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Right. You know, without knowing ahead of time exactly what it's going to look like. But as you start doing it bit by bit, all of a sudden you get the idea, sure. gee, this might be mm -hmm. a mountain or a river or yeah. a cow. Huh? Right, that's right, and and so like this gentleman that was I was watching this video, he was saying the, this coronavirus is demonic. It's from a it's a, on another level, and what does that do for us prophetically? Well, one thing we can stop is looking to scientists and different people to solve the problem and say, you know what? And this is another thing he said, and I heard this before, that this virus, this demonic virus, uh, responds to fear. Tell me that doesn't strike a chord with us, right? Because oh, yeah. there's just like, um, just been like overwhelming and rampant fear everywhere on the news and then everything. And it, a lot of it has to do with this virus. So like, we'll go up to Wisconsin, there's not a mask. I go to a store. That's fine. You, you were at a funeral yesterday. 50 or 60 of us there, no mask. Yeah, 50 or 60 people at a funeral, no mask. I was at a restaurant with, I went with Brian the other day, and we just had wings on Thursday night. A couple of masks here and there, but mostly just nothing. So the difference, even across the state line, like in Illinois, oh, it's just like, you can't come in our store without a mask. You go up to Wisconsin, nobody gives a rip about masks, right? And I think that's part of this understanding in the spirit realm of saying, God, show me things I don't know, and help it to be you, not me, Right? So the disciples are in this not understanding, and then they'll understand it later. Um, so any other thoughts on that before we move on? Uh, John 15, 15. Okay. So later in the week, he yeah. tells his guys, All right. it's very much like that Amos 3-7. Sure. He says, you're not my servants anymore. I'm calling you friends because a servant doesn't know his master's business. But sure. I'm telling you all my business. Right. It's really good. Cool. Did you want to read that, or uh, oh, no, I can read it for you. I can. Okay, I'll, I can read it for you if you want. Yeah, John fifteen fifteen. I don't have it on the screen here, but he says, "I have never called you servants, quote unquote, because a master doesn't confide in his servants, and servants don't always understand what the master is doing." But I call you my most intimate friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. Well, that's pretty awesome, right? Because it takes it from being a, a servant who just obeys and doesn't understand the Master to a place, again, back to Kathy, sons and daughters and friends. And he's confiding in us. He, he not only you know, says he would or might, he says he will, and he wants to confide in us. He wants to show us things. So I just want to take a break right now, and let's just pray into this, Lord, that you would grant us understanding and wisdom and revelation in regards to the chaotic situations of our world. Lord, everything from the, the racial uh, things that are going on and some of the anarchy things that are going on as a result of that, and all of the anger and the hatred that seem to be in some of these 
protests. And Lord, for the coronavirus, it just seems to be going up and down and backwards and sideways because it's demonic. And so, Lord, you've told us in your word that what we forbid on earth is forbidden in heaven. And what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So some things we forbid today, we forbid the increase and growth of coronavirus. We forbid and we cast down the plans of this demonic disease, not only on the U.S., but on the world, oh God. And then, Lord, we just release you, Holy Spirit, to to grant us wisdom and revelation. You would reveal to us some things as sons and daughters and your friends that you wouldn't reveal just to your servants. And so we come to you today as, as friends and as your sons and daughters, saying, Lord, show us and tell us things we don't know. We don't want to be those that don't perceive. We want to be those that perceive and have revelation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else have anything you want to add to that? And just help us be persistent, Lord. You know, because we we want to get the whole thing all at one time, one mm-hmm. instant. And your way sometimes is to give us enough mm-hmm. to get keep to us the, going yeah. to want to see sure. another piece sure. of the puzzle. Yeah, we want a little bit more, and we want to have. We, you know, we want to. He wants us to hunger yeah. for that. Yeah, that's really good. Well, it's interesting, just one second. Uh, yesterday, again, I think, were you in my devotions? Or? No. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't talked, but I got two lists here. Of, one of them is persistent warfare prayers and just different prayers that, you know, just we stay with it. And then the other one has to do with perseverance. And it's a whole list of stuff about that we just need to hang in there and keep going after it. So can I you think, email those? Yeah, I, I can. It was for my own sake, but I'll, I'll type them up and send them to you guys as well. Sally, you got something? Yeah, um, I've just been feeling that God is going to do something with this coronavirus thing and that he's put this um, this tragic event um, just to show that soon enough he's going to do something great and that, mm-hmm. um, like we were talking about, with um, some people aren't sure if they're for Jesus or if they're not for mm-hmm. Jesus and that he's doing this just to turn people's heads towards Jesus. Yeah. He's doing this for a reason. Yeah. There's going to be good news, good news coming soon. I like that. That's a good word. Thank you, Annie. That's super good. Um, I, I had a thing here. This is on the. Uh, this was uh, on, on the screen up here. I don't know if we can see this or not. Like, I'll take this and see if I can. Uh, Sue, you want to help me out? <laughs> so it says on here one. So it's talking about that all of these fulfillment of prophecies in verse 16. Uh, one person fulfilling eight prophecies is one in, what is that number? I don't even know. 100 trillion, I guess, or something. <laughs> is it, how many zeros is that? Too many. So one person fulfilling eight prophecies is like 100 trillion. Thank you, sweetie. You just showed, don't show that number to Congress. Yeah, right. Yeah. Probably give away more money. But then it then it said one person fulfilling forty-eight prophecies is one chance in ten to the one hundred and fifty-seventh power. I don't know what that means. It means one hundred and fifty-seven zeros after ten. <laughs> so I don't, I'm like, what is that number? I don't even know. 
that's a Google almost right there. I don't know what that is. But the chance of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies in the Bible is 10 to the 157th power. Astronomical, right? One person fulfilling, and this is what Jesus did. He fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. It's it, The numbers, you can't hardly even con- comprehend the numbers. So people are like, oh, he was just a man. Ho oh, <laughs> ho. I don't think so. Have you read the Bible? Have you read the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> the chance that Jesus isn't who he says he is, is astronomically, you have to be... Um, you have to you have to be incredibly uh, stu- I don't want to say the bad worst words, but it it it, it defies human logic to think that someone who fulfilled over three hundred prophecies isn't who he says he is, right? So I just think that's really interesting. I found that fast. I did a little research on that, but let's get on. Um, we wrap up today here. Verse seventeen. All oh, the. I'm sorry. Look good up there. <coughs> oh, well, dear. There's a deer outside. Oh, deer. Oh, it's going that way. Oh, young buck. Yes, I mean, crazy. You should have enveloped him. Sorry. Are you still on Zoom? Yeah, he's. The antlers are just starting to. Looks like Franklin. I'm doing a new thing, man. We're going to send. Show. As the deer pants for the water, I guess. Exactly. Just messed up Facebook there. Sorry, guys. We did you get it. That was super cool. Yeah, I got a little bit of it, I think. The deer just went across the yard. A deer is a very uh, good biblical sign. And uh, so thank you, Lord, for just giving us a little something today. Um, let's go back. Verse 17. So all the eyewitnesses of the miracle Jesus performed when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead kept spreading the news about Jesus to everyone. The news of this miracle, the news of this miracle of resurrection caused the crowds to swell as great numbers of people welcomed him into the city with joy. I know that's interesting, isn't it? Like <laughs> Some of us that know the story know where this is going by the end of the week. Not even a full week from where we are right now. But at this moment, people are really, really excited about Jesus. The numbers, I mean, we're really talking hundreds of thousands probably of people, tens to hundreds of thousands of people in the city. And the big, the big news is not only that he's the Messiah, but that he backed it up by raising Lazarus from the dead. Right, because of this testimony, there was the people were just going crazy for Jesus. They probably had banners and <laughs> they taken their uh, taking their markers out and were writing on paper. And the deer is back again. He's ran into the forest. Can you take a picture, you guys? Yeah. We'll take a picture of it and we'll send it out via email or text to you guys that are watching. Is that the same one or a different one? Oh, it's the same one. I watched him move into the trees, and then there it comes. No, 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 no. Yeah, it looks We're like that. We're having a visitation. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like. What? It looks like Ricky. Yeah. So that's really super fun. Uh, but verse 19, let's finish up with that tonight, or this morning. I'm sorry. 
So everybody else is excited about Jesus, but the uh, there's a certain group of people that aren't excited about Jesus. Uh, verse 19. Paula, will you read that for us? Yes. But the Pharisees were disturbed by this and said to each other, we won't be able to stop this. The whole world is going to run after <laughs> What does that sound like to you? When you read that verse, what does that sound like? Despair. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, despair, but almost... Oh, we're going to top this. Almost like a sarcasm, isn't it? Like, oh, great, the whole world is going on right, after Right, because him. they were the top dogs, and right. now this guy is seemingly challenging them for authority. Yeah, right. they weren't happy. And we have seen that, haven't we? Quite a bit of Jesus, throughout these previous chapters, challenging their authority right in their own temple. Right? How many? I mean, how many chapters have we seen this over and over? And yet now, it goes from just being a little temple... Conflict thing where we, we got to kill him. Now, everybody, this is really crazy, right? Everybody that's in Jerusalem right now is supposed to be there for Passover, which they and the temple, and they are at the front and the center of this whole thing. Only now, this year's Passover, everybody comes to the Passover, and the focus isn't on the Pharisees, it's on what? Jesus. It's on Jesus. Because he raised Lazarus from the dead and had lots of witnesses. Yeah. And they're like, oh, great. We've lost everything. Like, we got to get rid of this guy because ultimately it's their political and religious power that they, they feel threatened, right? Right. Yeah. I suppose they're worried about another rebellion and um, the Romans having to come stamp them out again. Yeah, they are worried about that because they mentioned that a couple chapters ago. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, isn't it? The raising of the dead of Lazarus is the thing that excites the people about the possibility that he is the Messiah, right? But it has the opposite effect on the Pharisees. Because they don't see that it's, like, again, we don't know exactly the mindset of the people, but if you're part of a rebellion and your leader is able to raise anybody that is killed to the de- to, from the dead to life... That would add impetus to your to your passion. But it has the opposite effect on, on the Pharisees. And uh, <laughs> they're like, oh, great, the whole world is going out after him. My son Sam, when he was younger, he had a little bit of a lisp. And he, every once in a while he would say, if, some, if something happened in his day, he would say, oh, great, this is the worst day ever. <laughs> he would say, oh, great. And... Uh, I can almost hear the Pharisees like, oh, great, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to us, right? The whole world is going to run after him. Do you think that helped or hurt their plans of killing Jesus? Moved it to the top of the list. I think it did. Back burner to the front burner, as they say. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and and be done there for now. We'll pick up verse 20 next week. what are some things you feel God has spoken to us today or some takeaways that we feel like God wants us to take out of here uh, from our time together today? What are some takeaways? Well, I think as we speak genuine hope in that waiting period, genuine hope, yeah. it's going to be drawing people. They're going to see something different, Yeah. Um, you know, besides fear. 
mm-hmm. and trepidation. Sure. And so if if we can, because they're certainly not going to hear that off of the media from right. the media. Sure. And so we have to be mindful. Right. You know that we need to be pursuing mm-hmm. the revelation so that we are speaking what heaven is speaking. Yeah. You know that's interesting because I was just as you were as you were as you're speaking I'm, in my mind I was thinking you know our landscape is fear and chaos and and you know just like the enemy is winning in some in a lot of ways. Well, that must have been how the people felt in those days. They were under the thumb of Rome. They were taxed like crazy. If you've watched the, this series on um, The Chosen, this video series on your phone you can watch, or your apps, which you really should. It's called The Chosen. It's an eight-part series. And one of them is Matthew that Jesus calls the tax collector. And so it gives you the perspective of the Jewish people at that time when Rome was making them tax, and Matthew was the tax collector for the Romans, and just the burden, and, and really in the series, how many of you watched? Some of you have been watching it, right? Do you guys do this? Okay. I know some of the others have watched it. I really encourage you to do it. It's free. You can do all that. But even in this in the series, Peter is is part of his being called, and John, some of their being called, is is part of the taxation thing comes on, and so there was a heavy, heavy burden on the people. And I feel like, you know, they were ready to just rejoice. They were, they didn't want to be under that much chaos and fear. And I don't but wonder if we live in a world where people, I mean, do you get the feeling people are tired of all the fear and chaos? Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's just as like, ugh, you know, the drudgery, if you will, of it all. But I think, like Sally said, I think there's a, there's this time where God is is going to is going to use this time, and I keep hearing it over and over. This is going to be the greatest revival and the greatest awakening on the horizon for us because of all this we have to go through. And I think part of the not having sporting events, not having you know big concert or, distraction, you know distractions. Mm-hmm. There is nothing else that people can can do or look forward to if if there were a baseball game this afternoon even if people weren't baseball fans they would be all about it yeah you know but now we we have nowhere else to go right right we have nothing else or nowhere else to go kind of hemmed in right and so you know the removal of all of those distractions is yeah, it's good. Is really good. It's like cleaning your house, but taking everything out so you can do yeah. a really good, yeah. thorough, deep clean, good. and then sure, putting stuff. all the sports and all the concerts, all the distractions are gone, and so that God is helping us to kind of get laser focus. That's super good, uh, Lord. Let, let's pray, and then we'll bless you guys. And then, um, if, if if you if you can, just for a couple minutes, I want to take communion. We'll do it out on the deck. Um, but, uh, Lord, we bless you today and thank you for some of these takeaways that you're giving us about being people who are, are perceivers. We can perceive things that you want to speak to us as sons and daughters and as friends. That you want to reveal things to us. And so we're open to that right now. In fact, if you just want to lift your hands and say, Lord, we are ready for what you want to speak to us. I'm ready. 
got my eyes to see and my ears to hear. And Lord God, I thank you that none of this is happening outside of your uh, intimate understanding and planning and that you have a good course set for this country and that you have good things in store. So we just say yes to hope and trust and believing that you are not only a, a God of infinite power, but a God of infinite wisdom and love and a desire to bring people to you. We pray that today. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Bless you. Amen.